Now listen to this one. Listen to this one and burn crisp. Listen now. There's a cry from out in the loneliness. Oh, honey, listen. Listen. Do you hear it? Do you fear it? You're holding me so. You're sobbing in your sleep, dear, and your lashes, they're glistening. Do you hear the little voices all a-begging me to go? All a-begging me to leave you? Day and night they're pleading, they're praying on the north wind, on the west wind, from the peak and from the plain. Night and day they never leave me. Do you know what they're saying? He was ours before you got him, and we want him once again. Yes, they're wanting me. They're haunting me. The awful lonely places. They're whining and they're whimpering as if each had a soul. They're calling me from the wilderness. The vast and godlike spaces. The stark and sullen solitudes that sentinel the pole. They miss my little campfires. Ever brightly, bravely gleaming in the womb of desolation. Was there ever man before as comradeless as I sought them? Lion-hearted, loving and dreaming. And they hailed me as a comrade, and they loved me evermore. And now they're all a-crying, and it's no use me denying the spell of them is on me, and I'm helpless as a child. My heart is aching, aching. But I hear them sleeping, waking. It's the lure of little voices. It's the mandate of the wild. I'm afraid to tell you, honey. I can take no bitter leaving, but softly in the sleep time from your love I'll steal away. Oh, it's cruel. Dearie, it's cruel, and it's God knows how I'm grieving. But his loneliness is calling, and he knows I must obey. Nadi bau bau. Mabai babau babai babui babau baru dida duda duda. That's it. We're alive tonight. We're shaken. Look, Charlie. That can't be. That can't be. No. Must be jelly because jam don't shake like that. Must be. Did you see it? It's hard to believe. It's impossible. Great Scott. Great Scott. You can't go back, Fred. I'll tell you what let's do. Let's go back home again, shall we? Let's go back to that old homestead. Let's go back to that old vine-covered, rose-covered cottage. You got the banjo, Don? You got the banjo, man? That's right. What happened? You should always keep that banjo ready. Come on, because arm in arm, we're going to go strolling down that old memory lane, all of us. Let's go! Oh, let's go! Let's go down old memory lane. We'll stroll under the moonlight, baby. Yes, you and I together after all these years, all these times and all these tears. So come on, let's go, all of us sing together down memory lane. And it. Boy, that was a close one. A close one. Yes, I think what we should do now is uh, quietly enter the portals here. 
<laughs> it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And then there was this time, you know, it was a very funny thing. I'm sitting in, in Horn and Hardart, not more than, not more than, oh, I'd say it was not later than 7.30 tonight. I'm sitting in Horn and Hardart there by Columbus Circle. And this is kind of an off-the-beaten-track Horn and Hardart, actually, even though it is on the beaten track. Funny thing, I'm sitting there, and these two guys are sitting at the same table. One guy looks at the other guy and says, Have you heard from Hilda Otto? And this tall, thin one looking at him and says, Don't mention that name here. And the short one says, But they're following me. They're, they are everywhere. Even here. And the first one, the tall, thin one says, Have you got the papers? And with that, I cleared out and I left a half a cup of coffee. I ran for over two blocks after that one. This one guy looked just, just like Otto Kruger, and the other one looked like Joseph Schildkraut. They're crying out loud. I mean, you know, what are you going to do? I, I mean, I, I've often said, what are you going to do? It's been this way ever since Merle Oberon looked right out of the screen of the Orpheum, right at me, when I was seven years old. And I was wearing a pair of those shoes, you know, with rubber soles, the kind of rubber soles that mothers glue on. You buy for a dime the soles after you've worn the leather ones out. It was a funniest, the funniest darn thing. This, this chick, this Merle Oberon, you know, and I, I've been a chick for crying out loud. I was a horseman up to that time. There was this guy named Ken Steele. used to ride this horse all the time, and I was down there digging him at the Orpheum every Saturday. But after Ken Steele went off, on came this, this love picture, and I'm sitting there sweating, eating some Mary Janes, when suddenly this woman looked out of the screen at me, and I never really looked at a woman before, and she looked right at me. I'll never forget what happened. My soles came right off my shoes. And it was supposed to be iron lifetime glue. Oh, no iron glue can withstand the kind of surging flame that burned through my veins, baby. So it's never been the same. It's never been the same. Never been the same, babe, since you've gone away. It's never, never, never been the same. Oh, I've had many a name, but it's never been the same. So come on, baby. Come on down that trail with me. <clears throat> That's not quite the way it was. You'll have to excuse me. I occasionally get carried away. I mean, you know what happens after a while. You begin to swing back and forth on the old on the old trapeze of life, and you hope that the net is down there, and you know it's not. You hope that the other guy who's getting ready to catch your feet is going to be there, and you know he's not, and so you just keep swinging back and forth like you wanted to do it that way from the very beginning. You learn to do like that, you know. You learn to do, 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 with a do, 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 la, da, do, dee, do, do, da. End of session. Once again, we return to the land of the living. Looks like there's a change in the lineup, folks. Yeah, I see. I can't see who they're putting in out there. Yeah, can't see his number from here. Oh, yes, they're putting uh, Iron Mike back in. This is the second time he's played this season. He's not really iron, you know. They just call him that. Actually, he's tinfoil. Oh, no, no, he's chickened out. He's gone back to the bench. He just said, no, I can't take it. 
Well, I guess there's nothing but the Class A minors for him next season, like the rest of us. You ever had the feeling, though, that you're playing down around the, maybe about Class C ball? Really, you know, if, if, if there were, in the old days, they used to divide baseball up into leagues. I mean, it was down in the Class D leagues and the Class C leagues and the Class B leagues and the Class A leagues and the Class AA leagues and the Class AAA leagues. The next thing you know, you're playing for the White Sox right back in the Class C leagues. And uh, you keep... <laughs> that was an inside gag. They didn't get that one. But the point is that, that you knew where you stood, you know. You knew where you stood, even though the suits looked the same. You ever had the feeling that, that, that you're looking at the TV set and you're watching all these guys playing Class A ball, even some of them playing in the minors, the AAA, and there are a few guys playing in the big leagues, and you're way down in the Class C, down there playing where they don't even have lights, and they play night games in spite of it, which makes it very difficult. That's right. Where even the vendors got that minor league look. And the hot dogs are skinny and wrinkled. You know, and the mustard is hard and caked. I think this is about time that we did the famous story of, of Ernie, the great vendor. The greatest vendor of all. Give me the echo chamber, Don. I can remember Ernie now. I can still hear him. The, the, the beautiful sound, the sound that bespoke and said so many things. Muttered all over... Buttered all over. Buttered all over. Great sound. Yes, that was Ernie. Buttered all over was what he really said, but you couldn't tell it really. I wonder if I wonder if I can get. No, it doesn't matter. Now, I've been tempted to tell that story, but that story is a little too strong for today's man the striving, sweating humanity. The long, long ant trail of it all. You know that there are red ants and then there are white ants. Have you heard about what the red ants are doing to us? Have you heard about it? Yes, they've been discovering red ant hills in the southern part of the United States. They've never been discovered there before. The red ants are terrible, stinging ants that are bound and determined and set on a course of harassment and, of course, final annihilation of the human race. And what is even sadder is that recently a scientist took a good, hard, long look at a red ant, spent over $4,000, it was a Ford Grant, and he found out that red ants are mild, and more than that, they're meek. And there have been several people putting two and two together. And you know that, that line about the meek shall inherit the earth? Mm-hmm. You notice it doesn't say meek people. Mm, that's right. Think about that for a moment when you're going back after those long fly balls and you're getting ready to throw a pop bottle or drop a shoe somewhere. Do you leave a spoor through life? You know what is it, a spoor? It's a very exciting word, spoor. Spoor. Oh, incidentally, tonight's uh, magic mystery jackpot word is a five-letter word for hornswoggle. The cue and the clue is not trick nor cheat. It's a much better word than that. 
Mm-hmm. Do you live your life in the vernacular or the colloquial? Or do you feel that there is a touch of classicism about the way you do it? Do you live it in style, or are you a starkly realistic, naturalistic performer on the great stage of life? Who was it, yes, I, I, who was it who said, all the world is a stage, we are but players? I think that was Mr. McPherson, used to fool around with rabbits, said that. It's the only thing we have left of his writings, although people wrote about him. Mr. McPherson and, uh, what was the name of that rabbit? Something Cottontail was his last name. What nationality is Cottontail? That sounds kind of like an English name. Um, Mr. McPherson and uh, Peter Cottontail. That's what it was, Peter Cottontail. Or sometimes called, in later editions, Peter Rabbit. Or was it Molly Cottontail? Mabel Cottontail, that's it. Yes. By the way, they weren't married, you know. In case you're interested, that is Peter and Mabel. It's a rotten story, and since it's rather late now and most of the kids are going to bed, we can really start leveling, you know, with the way it really was. But uh, then again, I suppose it is of no matter, since we will, we will do it in our own time, each one of us. And this word spoor is such a beautiful word. As you go creeping through the jungle, hoping that you'll hit the trail at long last, and the trail will lead you to El Dorado, the golden city. And you'll be able to scoop it up by your hands. Do you want to hear about the man from El Dorado? All right, we'll lay it down. Oh, yes, uh, we have a paperback gallery. And unfortunately, they don't handle anything by Robert W. Service. Nobody does, actually. And, um... Yes, the man from El Dorado. I think one of the funniest lines that he's ever... Um, I'm trying to find it here. The rhyme of the restless ones. The woman and the angel. This is kind of nice. You know, do you want to, uh, this, is, this is another one that's rarely done. You know, service had a very strange, bitter, cynical humor. And uh, this is a... This is uh, one that's rarely done. The woman and the angel. An angel was tired of heaven as he lounged on the golden street. His halo was tilted sideways and his harp lay mute at his feet. So the master stooped in his pity and gave him a pass to go for the space of a moon to the earth world to mix with the men below. He doffed his celestial garments, scarce waiting to lay them straight. He bade goodbye to Peter, who stood by the golden gate. The sexless singers of heaven chanted a fond farewell, and the imps looked up as they pattered on the red-hot flags of hell. Never was seen such an angel, eyes of a heavenly blue, features that shamed Apollo, hair of a golden hue. The women simply adored him and his lips were like Cupid's bow, but he never ventured to use them, and so they voted him slow. Till at last there came one woman, a marvel of loveliness, and she whispered to him, Do you love me? And he answered that woman, Yes. And she said, 
put your arms around me and kiss me and hold me, hold me so. But fiercely he drew back, saying, This thing is wrong, that I know. Then sweetly she mocked his scruples, and softly she him beguiled. You, who are verily man among men, speak with the tongue of a child. We've outlived the old standards. We've burst like an overtight thong the ancient outworn puritanic traditions of right and wrong. Then the master feared for his angel and called him again to his side, for, oh, the woman was wondrous, and, oh, the angel was tried, and deep in his hell sang the devil, and this was the strain of his song, the ancient, outworn, puritanic traditions of right and wrong. I mean, don't you feel it? Really, aren't you ready to spread your wings and go? <laughs> I've got to have that. Please, can you give me the echo chamber once again? Fellow delegates! Fellow delegates! I stand before you, a man humble and bowed, a man deeply conscious of the profound honor of being asked to place in nomination the name of a man beloved by millions of Americans, a man whose name is destined to ring throughout the halls of history, a man who I feel privileged, I repeat, I feel privileged to call my friend, a man who is a friend of every man, a man who shall carry the banner of our proud party to victory in the forthcoming mandate which he shall receive from the people of these blessed United States. A man who we all feel stands nay towers above the mere grubbing of politics. A man who holds the American ideals of liberty, happiness, and the dignity of the individual above all things. A man who bows to no man, who stands second to no man in his love of God and country. A man you've been waiting to see come upon this platform. Yes, fellow delegates, we have debated the issues the past five days in this hot and sultry Midwestern city, in this great state of Illinois. Yes, and now we have arrived at the moment we have all waited for. I would like to place in nomination before this great body of Americans 
a man who will carry the ideals for which all of mankind has striven for centuries to a higher mark than ever known before. A man admired by labor and by business alike. A man who is feared by his enemies for his scruples, his desire to adhere to the deep moral principles of the pioneers that established this great country of ours and that now stands threatened by the evil forces of perfidy and dishonesty from within. A man who stands like a giant among us. I place in nomination the name of the Honorable Jade Parker. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. I thank you. Wow. Made it again. Whew. Hey, is it getting hot? Do you feel like it's getting hot? Or is it just me? <laughs> Come on, fan those flames, baby. Shake it and break it. This is W.O.R. Speaking of the flames and the tinder and the poor old ash... This is W.O.R., your Ashen Station. Hello, hello. Hello, this is W.O.R. It's ten minutes past eleven. And um, we're here in <clears throat> New York, which is a magnificent place to live in, really, but a rotten place to visit. And uh, we'll be here until, you know, you know how luck is. This, the luck of the draw, you know how this is? You know, of course you do. It's like standing in front of this great big, this great big punch card. And there they are, all those names. All those names of those people on those punch cards. Who among us at this moment knows a flow? She was on every punch card I ever knew. Flow. And there was also a Pam, if I remember rightly, a Pam. And there were many Pats. And June. 
Yes, June appeared on all the punch boards. You see, I, I became part of the punch board world very early. You don't, you don't really just plunge right into the water. You know, like you take a good long run. The pictures you see. Have, have you seen the picture of, of this, uh, this, this TV commercial where the guy's coming out of the water and it's all dripping down his eyes and all that, and it says for the first time in his life he's really clean? <laughs> oh, everywhere I go I can hear these violins playing behind me. I hear them. I hear those sighing violins. And there's this great, this great orchestra leader named Nero, and he's leading the band. And he picks up his old fiddle, and he keeps on playing and says, now the next one we're going to play is a real hot one, one that you've been awaiting and asking and awaiting it in for, friends. Yes, sir. Who was it whose cow, who was it whose cow kicked the lantern over in Chicago a long time ago? We will award the brass figligi with bronze oak leek palms if, if you can rise above listener mediocrity, if you can rise above the mire and the muck in which you find yourself eternally, just for a moment, and say, I know! Coward. You're just a rotten coward. Inside, you're just... Just, you know, just... Ugh. 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 Can't, ugh. Yeah. So who was it? Whose cow kicked that lantern over? Oh, no. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. It was not a German name. It was not. There, although I will say this, she lived in a German neighborhood. Had great German bakeries in that neighborhood. Chicago has tremendous German bakeries, and they have a, they have a, kind, of a, a kind of a cake that they serve there in the morning that you can get hot when you go into these German bakeries in Chicago. And they call this cake Streusel cake. Streusel, and it has Streusel on the top of it. I don't know whether I'm pronouncing it right or anything, but that's the way it was pronounced on the north side of Chicago. Streusel cake. Streusel cake. Oh, boy. It's got all those little lumpy, buttery things all over it. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. He's wrong. Don't write it down because he's wrong. He's wrong by definition. Is it that clown again? What is this guy trying to do, get his own radio show? What's the matter with you? I do want to hear a great two-page story, yes. You realize that you just interrupted my whole train of thought. You, you realize what you've done? Koshmacher's tooth puller. Hushmacher's tooth... What? T is in Texas? Tushmacher's tooth puller? Yes. You just ruined my whole train of thought. You know that. I can't repeat it. It's two pages long. Two short pages. All right, Tushmacher's Tooth Puller. Dr. Tushmacher was never regularly bred as a physician or surgeon. But he possessed naturally a strong mechanical genius and a fine appetite. And finding his teeth of great service in satisfying the latter propensity, he concluded that he could do more good in the world and create more real happiness 
by putting the teeth of its inhabitants in good order. So Tushmacher became a dentist. He was, <laughs> he was the man... <laughs> <laughs> he was the man who first invented the method of placing <laughs> He was the man who first invented the method of placing small cogwheels in the back teeth for the more perfect mastication of food. Now wait, that's too long. I, I, I break it up in the middle. He claimed to be the original discoverer of that method of filling cavities with a kind of putty which, becoming hard directly, causes the tooth to ache so grievously that it has to be pulled, thereby giving the dentist two successive fees for the same job. Good old Tushmacher. I can see he's a progressive man. Go ahead. Tushmacher was one day seated in his office in the city of Boston, Massachusetts. When a stout old fellow named Biles presented himself to have a back tooth drawn, the dentist seated his patient in the chair of torture and opening his mouth there discovered an enormous tooth on the right hand side about as large as he afterwards expressed it <laughs> as a small <laughs> He discovered a tooth which he afterwards described as being about as large as a small polyglot Bible. I shall have trouble with this tooth, thought Tushmacher. But he clamped on his heaviest forceps and pulled. It didn't come. Then he tried the thumbscrew exerting his utmost strength. But the tooth wouldn't stir. Go away from here, said Tushmacher to Biles, and return in a week, and I'll draw that tooth for you or know the reason why. Biles got up, clamped a handkerchief to his jaw, and put forth. Then the dentist went to work. And in three days he invented an instrument which he was confident would which he was confident would pull anything. It was a combination of the lever, pulley, wheel, axle, inclined plane, wedge, and screw. The castings were made and the machine put up in the office over an iron chair rendered perfectly stationary by iron rods. 
going down into the very foundations of the granite building. In a week, old Biles returned. He was clapped into the iron chair. The forceps connected to the machine, attached firmly to the tooth. And Tushmacher, stationing himself in the rear, took hold of a lever four feet in length. He turned it slightly. Old Biles gave a groan and lifted his right leg. Another turn, another groan. And up went the leg again. What do you raise your leg for? asked the doctor. I can't help it, said the patient. Well, rejoined Tushmacher, that tooth is bound to come out now. He turned the lever clear around. And with a sudden jerk, it snapped old Biles' head clear and clean of his shoulders, leaving a space of four inches between the severed parts. They had a post-mortem examination. The roots of the tooth were found extending down the right side through the right leg and turning up in two prongs under the sole of the right foot. No wonder, no wonder, said Tushmacher, no wonder he raised his right leg. The jury, the jury saw, the jury thought so too. They found the roots much decayed, and five surgeons swearing that mortification would have ensued within a few months. Tushmacher was cleared on a verdict of justifiable homicide. He was a little shy of that instrument for some time afterward. But one day, an old lady, feeble and flaccid, came in to have a tooth drawn. And thinking it would come out very easy, Tushmacher concluded, just by way of variety, to try the machine again. He did so. And at the first turn, drew the old lady's skeleton completely and entirely from her body, leaving her a mass of quivering jelly in her chair. Tushmacher. What? Tushmacher took her home in a pillowcase. He lived seven years after that. And they... She lived seven years after that, and they called her the Indian Rubber Woman. She had suffered terribly with the rheumatism, but after this occurrence, never had a pain in her bones. The dentist kept them in a glass case.
After this, the machine was sold to the contractor of the Boston Custom House. And it was found that a child of three years of age could, by a single turn of the screw, raise a stone weighing 23 tons. Smaller ones were made on the same principle and sold to the keepers of hotels and restaurants. They were used for boning turkeys. There is no moral to this story, whatever. And it is possible that the circumstances may have become slightly exaggerated. Of course, there can be no doubt as to the truth of the main incidents. Which way do you turn? again. Did you like the story of Dr. Tushmacher? Of course you'll like the story of Dr. Tushmacher. Who would but know yet? As we drown in the tears, the sorrows of our ancient time tides. Oh, no, don't try to wring it out. Who wants to join me in ringing a welkin? And while we're searching for a welkin, we'd like to remind you that uh, one of our sponsors is the Record Hunter. And uh, you'll find them on uh, Fifth Avenue between 43rd and 42nd, right in the heart of the Big Doe District. And if you don't get much chance to shop in that district, here is your chance to do it and not get uh, shorn for your efforts. You see, you find yourself speaking in a late 1870 dialect and you can't stop. <laughs> Mr. Shepard, here's, here's, here's the way it would have been written in 1875. Mr. Shepard, a short, squat man with a pronounced limp, decided at an early age that the stage and the life of gay frivolity was not for him. And so, donning his most somber suit and packing a cardboard suitcase full of the small, meager belongings 
that were his only things on this graven earth, a pair of roller skates, a fielder's mitt, a can opener, and a pair of spavine socks. He bought a ticket on the New York Central for Poughkeepsie, New York, a city of some considerable fame in his neighborhood. <laughs> Can't you just see this story beginning to unfold? <laughs> we got the record, Hunter. And, uh, and uh, I would like to point out to those of you who live beyond the pale of darkness, just out beyond the area where you can see, out there just beyond the campfires, out there in the, in the spaces. Many of you guys live in, in places where they have record shops. They have about four records usually on the stack. And uh, if you would like to know something about the record hunter and still live where you live, which I cannot understand why you want to do anyway, why are you living out there? What's happened? What are you hiding out from? I mean, really, th we, we've got guys who live up as far as places like Ossining and that. What do you live up there for? Why are all those people out there in Kew Gardens when they don't have to be, you know? You know? Oh, that is not even funny. He's not even funny. I mean, if you people are going to call in funny things, make sure they're funny. You know? I mean, you know. Oh, come on. But uh, while on the subject of the record hunter, just send your name and address to Whoopi, W-O-R, New York, and they will put you on their mailing list, and it'll be Whoopi every month for you. And uh, you'll get this, uh, you know, this catalog, this monthly catalog. There's a lot of, oh, there's a lot of great records listed in there. I don't have to you, know, I didn't say anything to you about it, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and uh, just put your name and address on a postcard and address it to Whoopi, <clears throat> Whoopi. And uh, that's W-O-R, New York, New York. And within a short time, you'll be on the mailing list, and shortly thereafter, you'll probably have to move. But uh, it'll be all fun, and it'll stir your life up, and it'll give you a raison d'etre. And this is the record hunter, and all this week, incidentally, uh, all this week, they're having, of all things, a Gene Shepherd sale. You see what's happened is I got in trouble with the tax people, and I got all these poor little pitiful belongings that are on sale now at the mezzanine. So if you'd like to buy some old chinos, I've got some old black T-shirts there, some old razor blades that I've been saving for a long time. I use them to strip wire with and stuff like that. I've got a great knot collection that's on sale there and a twig collection, and I've got two old photograph albums. And this Gene Shepherd sale will go on all this week, and all these poor little pitiful things will be, you know, sold at cut rates, cut prices because of depreciation. My knot my knot collection has depreciated something awful since I first put it together. It used to be very valuable, but now you can pick it up. So why don't you go up to the uh, record hunter sometime during this week and say, I'd like to look at his tennis shoes, please. His fielder's mitt. My old glove is there. And it's a, it's a twinkle-toe Selkirk model. Because that, that name always, even now, sends little, little things up and down my, my spine. Twinkle-toe Selkirk. I mean, really, isn't that a great name to be called Twinkle Toes? Old Twinkle Toes out there. Look at him. And wouldn't you like to be called the Gray Eagle? Who is called the Gray Eagle? That is a magnificent name. Iron Mike, the Gray Eagle, Banana Nose. These were all guys of my youth. Iron Mike, Banana Nose, the Gray Eagle, Ripper. How about that? Just, just, they just merely call you Ripper. They don't have guys like that playing ball anymore. They got guys like Mickey and Bobby. Jackie, oh, for crying out loud, Don. Yeah. Who even looks such names? 
I can remember when uh, really a guy like Ripper was playing in the outfield. Ripper and Iron Mike and Banana Nose. All three of them played on the same ball team. Yes. Hmm. Those were names. That's right. Oh, you don't you don't don't push me, you know. I've been I've been there where they had real twinkle toes. Twinkle toes. Isn't that a great name, Twinkle Toes? Hey, yeah, they say. There's a long fly ball. There's a long fly ball going out the deep left center. It's going out near the scoreboard. The gray eagle is after it. That's you. Oh, this is going to be nothing for the gray eagle. Yeah, there it is in the old hip pocket. That's a blow that would have gone for a triple against anybody else. He moves like a ghost out there. Majestic. Fantastic figure. Oh, shucks. What happened? Hey, hey, are there any, any, any ex-boys out there? Any ex-kids? with us tonight any ex-kids do you ever do this when you're walking along the street Ed I'm now really leveling you're walking along the street and you you all of a sudden you, you, you pretend you're dribbling a basketball a little bit you go you bounce a little bit you try a hook shot against a wall or, or, or you're walking along and you make a slight pass to your left you're going you're going for a ground ball you ever do that really you never do that well that's sad do you ever do you ever come come to one of these things where the big piece of iron is set down on the sidewalk that opens up occasionally and a and a guy comes out with a bunch of cardboard boxes and the bell rings you know this thing do you ever you ever see this thing and, and measure it with your eye figuring you might try it in one jump you don't do that anymore eh well you see what's happened is that you have dead you have died really that's what's happened and of course the sad part of it is that you're so dead you don't even know it that's the worst kind of death. <laughs> it really is. I mean, a lot of guys have the have the decency to know it and depart in dignity with the with the you know with the fanfare and the guys wearing the white white stiff shirts and all of it. But there are so many of them that don't know it yet and just keep walking around. Don't even know about ground balls. I find myself occasionally seeing kids playing ball, and I want to go out and make a spear a left-handed spearing catch. You know, a hard hit line drive off this six-year-old's bat. <laughs> And these kids will say, oh, "Wowie, did you see that? Look at how that guy goes to his right. I wonder if he's. I wonder how his peg is." And this, this is you. You can't escape it. Banana nose. Goose. How about that for the name of a ball player? Goose. Goose. That's right. He was there. And uh, let's see who else was uh, the other great names that I can remember. again we get back to the world <laughs> that's the record hunter and they are having this gene shepherd sale it is grotesque and highly humiliating but then what i mean humiliation we can take that we've been humiliated most of us have been humiliated in one way or another all of our lives very subtle little ways one of the most humiliating things in a way a very subtle kind of humiliation 
the guy will come on the air and he will say, yes, friends, that is... Remember that address now, friends. Get out your paper and pencil, and here is the address. That's CAT, spelled C-A-T. That's CAT, C-A-T, friends. Mach 752, 6SJ7, Aquanamanoc Falls, Wisconsin. 